Welcome to the podcast. It's the worst territory in the world. Personalities, history, and other stories. We know you're craving for more knowledge. Let the champions get their glory. It's the worst territory in the world. All right, everybody, welcome in. It is the best time of the week to talk about perhaps the worst territory in the world i'm gabe sitting here with chris chris we have one dynamite show coming not not the dynamite show but a dynamite show coming for all the wrestling fans that are listening to our fantastic podcast uh but before we get to that chris how was your week so far is it so you got to be careful what words you use i mean this show's really going to be raw we're probably going to lay the smack down <laughs> on the topic of wrestling today there might be a collision of facts coming up your way and a big hey. rampage of fear yeah anyway uh, pretty good it was great good. it was great it was uh you know humid here and uh horrible and uh as i told you i was spending some of my nights because you know i'm married with children i will um way watch at, it there al bundy i will look at uh, online <laughs> i wish i was al bundy uh i would look online and i uh you know i, I will bid on uh wrestling memorabilia late at night couple pops in me see what i get in the mail stuff like that it was a good week <laughs> a couple pops what, what's your favorite beer i know we usually save this till i hate the end. beer i hate okay. beer so when, when you say pops what do you drink uh you know like i might have a bourbon or something what's favorite bourbon? Favorite, uh, bourbon? favorite i don't know drink i like weller uh i, okay. I have some of that uh my favorite like high higher nice thing probably eh taylor small batch or barrel proof i've had lately but uh you know i mean I'm not really a bourbon snob like some of my friends. So, you know, whatever. I, I'm I'm not a Jim Beam guy. That's for damn sure. I like Jack Manhattans, but, uh, you know, what, what about you, Gabe? I, I don't drink. But so, when you did. When I did, oh, I, I mean, I have a Pabst Blue Ribbon tattoo. Oh, God. And Hipster. so I used, to drink, I used to drink Christian Brothers Brandy and Pabst Blue Ribbon because I was poor. So there you go. <laughs> but I remember back in the day, my favorite, I went to this bar in L.A., and my favorite whiskey I ever had was like a McAllen 20 year or something ridiculous. Oh yeah. And it was, yeah, my it, friends, my friends say that after I think they say they're 12 or 15 years, they honestly think that you're just paying for way too much for whiskey after that. Sure. I want we once went into um just to see what it was. We went into, I believe it was Planet Hollywood or it was on the strip, one of the big casinos in Vegas. And we went up to the bartender. And my buddy just said, Hey, what's your most expensive bottle here? A shot. And gosh, I forget it was, it was like a McAllen 20 or 30, something, whatever the highest one is. And there was another drink there and I'm, it's, I, I can't think of it right now, but it was like, I think he said it was $450 a shot. Okay. And he said there was a guy, the only person he's ever sold it to was a dude that was a music producer that was linked in with the hotel somehow. And he had some kind of per diem. It was like a, $2,000 a day per diem or something. And he would buy like four of those shots a day for clients or something. And wow. that was it. But, uh, but yeah, at a certain point, it just becomes like, you know, the bourbon craze of, you know, this century in the last, you know, at least 10 years or so has been off the charts. Crazy people that I know, like search for bourbon. They, they will drive hours a day, get up at 4am to go down to the local store to see what their one allocated bottle is of the week coming off the truck at 4 a.m. You know, I that's just too much. Yeah. I, I was showing some uh, clients of mine around. Do you know what the National is up in uh, Parkville? Yeah, the golf course. Yeah. Yeah. I was showing them around. They're, you know, looking for 
couple million dollar house or whatever. And he's apparently the husband is apparently a bourbon drinker. And he educated me that there's bottles of this thing. Uh, I've heard of the bourbon Pappy Van Winkle. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That's the most expensive. $1,500. That's my rent, bro. Like, yeah, I mean, like, that's ridiculous. I mean, right? look, I, like, does it have, does it have like gold? I mean, does it get, does it comfort you at night? Does it tell it, tell you it loves you? Like what, what? It's just rare. Bucks? Every see it's, it's, it's our generation, Gabe. Like there's everything that we've changed every, you know, every generation changes somehow this generation of ours has sort of, I mean, not to say that people don't drink scotch, but right. a lot of people our age are huge into bourbon. So I can only imagine that since like I talked to one of my friends that owns a big grocery store here in in Kansas City, and he said that now 51 percent of his hard liquor is bourbon. And that's because like all the people want it like it used to be Tito's used to be all these things sort of neck and neck. And now it's like all bourbon and all the other stuff is sort of falling off. And it's just now it's creates supply and demand. Do they have as much made, you know, because it obviously takes years and years for this bourbon to age. So do they have enough to meet the demand? So is that why it's so rare? They don't. Some people don't even like price gouges. They just only give a store like you know a handful a year. So then it becomes the store can then be like, OK, it's a. $150. It's, yeah. you know, it's dumb, but whatever. Yeah. I mean, I, I blame. So I've noted, I know you, 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 me and you are very hip. We're totally. in our 40s. We keep our finger on the pulse. But one thing I did notice, and I'm sure you've noticed it in your own business, Peculiar Winery, the best winery in Kansas City. Oh, yeah. Um, it's cowboy culture, right? Like this whole like Yellowstone. Like I went to this uh, this show of a country artist I really like named Charlie Crockett, and I swear to God, it was like a fashion show. There were girls like strutting around, and they're all kind of look like Beth from Yellowstone, like just like big hats and like it's like this like it was like a fashion show. It mm-hmm. was so bizarre to me, and it's like it was almost like the punk scene in the early '90s where it was like you had to have the jacket, and you had to have the pants, and all this stuff. And I was like, and so now everyone drinks bourbon, and they all want to live in Montana, and they all want to like wear like stevie nicks clothing and just like you know live off the land man it's just it's so bizarre to me i think it's cowboy culture yeah i mean look like we said every every generation has something like that and it's always fun when it comes back i mean like when i see the stuff now that people wear from the 80s or 90s it's like when we were younger and people were in bell bottoms again or yeah. whatever you know, yeah 20, dude, years you later, remember that? <laughs> it just comes back around it is sort of fun to watch but that yeah. just means i'm old so. Yeah, we are old. Speaking of being old, let's let's get on our soapbox. We really need a stinger for this. Let's talk about the latest and greatest headlines in the world of professional wrestling and let's get wild with it. First of all, let's talk about <laughs> and I see you smiling already. Let's talk about what in my opinion was the best match I have seen on television in a very very very, very, very long time. The collision match of FTR taking on the, uh, what are they called? The gold, uh, the bullet club gold, mm-hmm. uh, Jay white and juice Robinson, two out of three falls took the entire first hour of collision. By the way, real quick, before we launch into this, I think collision is an outstanding wrestling show. I, I do. And 
yeah, most of the wrestling fans like our age or older that I know that like wrestling from, you know, when we were younger, they love collision. Um, you know, it's obviously gone in with a, di- and I think it's cool. I will give AEW credit with that. They've gone in with the concept, whether it's because of punk or our friend ACE or whoever else is a, sort of helping lead the charge of this. They sort of give them an alternative within the company of having a show that is sort right. of targeted towards people that enjoy sort of old school wrestling. So the, the thing about the collision that you're talking about, that sh- program in general, the, the show that you're talking about this week with this tag match was I love the pre-credits pre uh, the cold open yes hey tonight we're taking you on and it's like uh you know it's like 80s uh you know it's the 80s saturday night main event it is and so the only thing i was missing and i know it's too throwback is that they need the backgrounds with their logos in front of them they need like a a green screen behind them to cut these promos because you know they're doing what it what i would do at an indie show now which is like let me just go around in different corners of the locker room and get you know their thoughts or whatever and that's what they did with uh you know punk and juice and all the guys doing that ricky starks had the girls did it uh i thought it was cool i like the sort of old school promo saying like tonight you know, yep. Ruby Soho, we're going to do this or whatever. Yep. And yep. Uh, that's like a super throwback thing. And I, um, I know I hope they keep doing it because I think it works. Uh, it's at least an alternative within their company. I, I, dude, I was going to talk about that before we talked about the tag team match, how much I love the opening. Uh, like you said, they were just, it, they set the plate for the night. They're like, this is what's going to happen. They, they were short, quick, and to the point. Then they hit the credit music. And we're off to the races. And then they start immediately in the ring with a match. Boom. That is, to me, that was the perfect opening for a wrestling show. Now, I, you know, I had heard, I didn't watch this live. My friend, Tommy, uh, if Tommy, if you're listening, thank you so much for uh, saying, hey, you're forgetting about this match because I wasn't watching it. Um, I, I watched it afterwards. And when I, you know, he, Tommy is, is a diehard wrestling fan. He, he, me and him see eye to eye on a lot of things, but we don't see eye to eye on, on some things. And he was like, man, you're, this match is incredible. And I'm like, okay, he loves JY. He's a big new Japan fan. So I was like, all right, you know, I'm sure it's, I'm sure it's good. Cause FTRs in it. When I watched it, it literally exceeded my every expectation I had for a match. And they so what was really impressive about this match to me was first of all who takes an hour now at, at the beginning you know to run i i think AEW's done it like maybe once with like brian danielson which was a really good match and i forgot who he was wrestling but to to, to take the first hour of a wrestling show and to have just one match and not only that for it not to get stale i think is a is a testament to both of these teams but i'll tell you dude they didn't take a big bump. It was a complete and total wrestling match. There was no furniture. There was no blood. There was. It was better than the the Briscoe matches because it it really told a story. Juice Robinson. The whole match was him bumping. Whole match was him bumping and selling, and it reminded me he was a chicken shit heel. He was a chicken shit heel to the umpteenth degree. And there was, I mean, there was so many little points in this match, but they did not take a big bump, Chris for like 25 minutes until into the match. It was all headlocks, psychology, and like, you know, holds. It, it Absolutely phenomenal. The first the first 25 minutes was just, uh, it was just, it was so good. And, it, and the fans were into it. I don't know if this would have worked in front of another set of fans, though. I, sure. I, I don't know. 
Well, you know, a couple of things just to take a uh, little nitpick, nitpicky things about this, not sure. in a bad way, but Juice Robinson, like his look in general is just super unique. Like the way he wears his beard and just the way his hair yes. grows in on him, he looks like the, the bottom half of his face looks like uh, Michael J. Fox and Teen Wolf as the wolf. <laughs> he looks like the wolf. He does. Right. And so uh, he looks different and he looks interesting and he's got those crazy eyes. Uh, right. Nothing against Jay White, but of the two, Juice is way more entertaining as far as like just looking at the guy and uh, FTR stuff that you notice in the match uh, FTR uh, will do something uh, evil if done to them first so like yes, and I sort of, that is a throwback WWF 1980s thing where you know ever used to talk about like well Hulk Hogan would rake the eyes like nobody yes. face does yes. that yeah. but like but that was only because they raked his eyes first and so at home and the psychology i was like that psychology because i think we all would do that is i'm not going to kick you in the nuts first but if you kick me in the nuts first i am like it's game on you know and right. that is uh and that is what i saw ftr doing this and uh look uh, it's it's proving that you can have matches and people will still care about them. You know, the problem is they're putting it on a show on a Saturday night and is the, are the ratings going to reflect that a lot of people would rather see this than their flagship show because it's on a more of a night that people would watch television. I don't know, but uh, I think uh, for those that are old school wrestling fans for now, enjoy it. Yeah, I, I, man, I, and then the matches after that, I mean, we'll get to that in just a second. I mean, nothing really to like, I mean, that match stole the show. That match stole the year for me. That, I mean, I cannot speak highly enough of it, but what I learned from that match or what I noticed from that match, and it's something Ace Steel taught some, a group of uh, wrestlers when he was with the NWL and he was running a training seminar. And of course I was watching it and Ace is incredible. And I picked up so much from that training seminar, just being not even a worker, but it was like the little things that they did during that match. It was the, you know, again, not taking the big bumps until later on, really building towards the finishes, the constant movement, which is something Ace was preaching a lot in his seminar is like, you know, don't just lay there like a dead fish. When you, someone has a side headlock on, you always look like you're trying to find a way out, stick your hands in, you know, like, Always, you know, just this constant movement. But Juice was, I mean, I, I got, I love Jay White. I think he's a really talented professional wrestler. But I think I, they should not break up that tag team for a very long time. I think they are the perfect heel tag team. But again, it's also who they were working with. And I, I cannot, and I, th- I think Dave Meltzer gave it five stars or something. Or, and the fact that that match, that like, it's so weird. Now we were talking about before we went on the air and we'll talk about, maybe we'll get into the whole Dave Meltzer thing about him defending his ratings. But like, why do you have a five-star rating system when you're constantly going over? But with that being said, if you are going to go over that match deserved it, but I'd have to say Chris, because his boys weren't in there. If it was the bucks versus FTR, that's seven stars all the way, baby. Yeah, no. Well, you have to say the you have to always say inside the Tokyo Dome. That's the joke. You oh, have yeah, to say. that's right. No, but um <laughs> at Kirk and Hall. <laughs> the the thing the thing that uh cracks me up about Dave Meltzer in general is not is two ways of looking at it. Number one, he's one guy giving reviews. So obviously he's going to review it. Uh there's no such thing as unbiased journalism ever in the history of the world. Nope. So uh he's going to give it his slant on what he likes or doesn't like. And I understand that as I've told you before, I think it's annoying that he doesn't care about any kind of segments that build up any kind of character, any kind of match as far as like, uh, you know, a non spot match. If it's just a, if it's just some kind of a 
theatrical segment that actually works like like a rock like a rock and sock connection thing like it's your this is your life type thing he would that that's a like negative 50 stars for dave you know and and some people you know i'm not saying to do that all the time but you're building towards something but he hates those he'd rather have just a match where people do a bunch of like incredible like out of the blue spots and he just he he admitted in this interview that he had recently with that chris van vliet with that he said basically like if, if it surprises him if it's something out of the blue if it's something you weren't expecting he's going to give it higher which i think is uh, not always the the best way of judging something to me. It's like sometimes in wrestling, I think we've learned a long time ago that sometimes what should happen, everyone thinks is going to happen, should happen. You know, we got we got on the Russo, everything's a swerve, bro. Types for not you know philosophy for a long time, but uh, I just think that you know. So part of me is like he's just one dude, you know, whatever. But the the issue is is that he is looked at as the godfather of ratings because he's the dude that's been doing it for 40, 50 years. And so of course he knows that he wields a pretty mighty sword with whatever he writes. So uh right. he's obviously been pretty anti-WWE since he began. I don't yep. know if that's because he hates them because they didn't give him a job or they didn't pay him or he wasn't on the payroll or what, you know, whatever. But uh, but it's pretty obvious that he doesn't like their stuff at all. And he likes Japan stuff. It doesn't really matter what, you know, it, it's, he's, he's got a weird outlook, which is fine, but he's sort of the mainstream guy with a weird outlook. So, right. uh, you know, I, I hate that he wields so much power, but yes, this, this match should blow away, uh, probably almost any Kenny Omega match that he's ever rated higher than it. But like he's never going to admit that because FTR are CM Punk's boys and blah blah blah. So and he'd get heat for doing that. So he he gave it what he had to. Yeah, I I, I but I highly recommend everybody if you guys you know have an hour of your time find it watch this match. This match was such a great throwback to any good tag team wrestling because tag team wrestling I think is one of the most effective forms of wrestling when it's done correctly. And this was perfection. Of course, I can nitpick. I didn't necessarily like the the calling the doctor over when they spilled to the outside i thought that was a weird break mm -hmm. I, there was there was some things in it that yeah, of course being nitpicky i was like oh well you know i would have done that differently or whatever but all in all the match was absolutely perfect and hats off to the collision team who are putting on really solid wrestling shows every week um and don't forget stay tuned everybody we do have an exciting interview with bull schmidt coming up here in the middle of our program today former uh, metro pro champion bull yes. schmidt who spent several times in japan one of the i think he's trevor murdoch's legitimate best friend in life and uh he is a guy that trained started training in oklahoma went to harley races school we're talking um gosh it had to been had to been 90 or late 90s early 2000s and just became a uh he became like a, a mainstay for a while at metro at metro pro and he was great and i loved talking to bull schmidt guy was always a positive smile on his face guy and i mean huge dude like six six he talked about his prime he was like six six three forty at one Ooh. point Big dude, but so the we'll talk boy. with him coming up. But I mean, if you were if you were ever privileged to be around Bull Schmidt when he was at Metro Pro in Kansas City from 2010 to 2012, 13, something like that, um, he was always a a crowd pleaser for sure. Yeah, so I can't wait to hear that interview. Also, Chris, let's talk about we were talking about before we came on the air. Let's talk about the dark side of the ring. We've kind of touched on the last episode. We were talking about some of the dark sides that we've enjoyed, but yeah. this last one, and I just got a chance to watch it was the Abdullah, the butcher dark side of the ring. I got a text from my brother. who's an avid wrestling fan. who said he enjoyed it quite a bit. 
Really? Um, I, I, I didn't. I got to tell I you, like, it was. It might have been the worst one, maybe. It was up there. It was up there for me because I, I agree. Like you had told me your review of it, and I, you know, me and you don't see eye to eye on everything. I, I mean, we probably see eye to eye less on certain things than others. But I was like, dude, that was not good. I mean, it was all for me. It was all over the map. It was like, okay, here's Larry, good old Larry Shreve as a child. Okay, and then he decides to go to wrestling and then here comes Hannibal there's blood and then back to like his legacy in Japan. And it was, it was all over the map. It was all over the map for me. Like I, 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 there was nothing new or revelatory about it for me. Um, I would have liked to have seen like, what was it like when he first broke into the business in the sixties, you know, stories yeah. with the Sheik, things like that. I would have been much more fascinated by that if he if he what he experienced as portraying an or a Saudi or an Arab or or whatever in the 60s. But instead they're like, okay, he liked blood and and here's he give he blades this. I mean, they focused on the blood thing a lot. And I Which get was that was a big deal. I mean, sure. he was a, known as the sure. bloody guy. Yeah. Sure. I totally understand that. But I I would but because we know that, let's get to know what else, like his who he was. Like we know the Sheik Ed Farhat trained him. We'll talk about the, the the Sheik training. Why did he decide to do the blood gimmick? All this other kind of stuff, but it just seemed like, I don't know. It was chaos to me. It was chaos. My oh. my initial reaction after watching the show, and yes, we didn't even get into Hannibal there in, oh. your, in your first take, but Hannibal. And do we? I, I know Brian Last and, and Cornette do great Hannibal impressions, but we I think that impression has been around way before Brian Last because I have heard people doing Hannibal impressions for years because of his shoot interviews that he would do online for, he would get, to his credit, I guess he paid them or whatever, he would get these guys like Demolition and, and uh, man, and like everyone, Dr. D all these people would sit down with him for an hour or two and yeah. he'd just be off camera talking and asking questions the worst and, questions the uh, not worst. as bad as rf video rf video questions were worse they were no like, no Devin was way worse no if you'd said like at least Devin like had some understanding of wrestling some of those rf video ones were like <laughs> uh what did you do in wrestling well i killed 10 men okay <laughs> what was your favorite move you know like they wouldn't even talk about anything that he just said but i mean anyway, those were bad too those were bad too. i i digress but anyway the, when i watched this abdul the butcher dark side of the ring the first thing that came out of my thought is they Devin nicholson hannibal and abdul the butcher are both complete pieces of shit and they're both complete carnies and they're both super workers in wrestling and uh and you know a, a in the worst way one's a worker and yeah so they're so you know and i've heard and i know people that that really like abdul the butcher now i mean he's obviously in his 80s and he's i don't think anyone knows legitimately what his age is but i think he's in his 80s now and you know you get to see sort of a sympathetic side in this show but you know of his sister brother caretaker but uh but you know at the same time like I heard so many stories about him and how he blew through money and how he was acting, you know, just like a huge a-hole his entire career. And then to see everyone saying like, poor, poor guy, poor guy. And then Hannibal comes on, who is, if you can only make one guy look worse, ha bring Hannibal on because Hannibal <laughs> like is the biggest heel of them all, because this is a guy that never did anything, but yet his biggest claim to fame is that he screwed Abdullah the butcher out of, 
you know, I guess making any wrestling appearances of, as far as in the ring anymore because of the the uh, hepatitis that he supposedly contracted from him. And who knows? Like, you know, the, the funny thing is, if anyone knows Hannibal now, the after the whole Abdul the Butcher thing, after he had hep, hepatitis, uh, he would go and do as a blood, a blood? hunter gimmick. Yeah. Why would you even like so? So when I was promoting, there were people that I knew had hepatitis C. So, like, I mean, at a, at a certain point, Bob Orton Jr. had it. At a certain point, X-Pac had it. They, I mean, these, and then you got Hannibal. So it's like, why would anyone in their right mind get in the ring with these people just, be, just for your own safety? I mean, even if you're a mark for the dude and you want to have a match with one of these people. And so he had not only just, not only did he get back in the ring, but he got back in the ring as the blood hunter and cut everyone, including himself, open and bloody. You know, and we saw the pictures and graphic stuff of what he did to the referee. But, I mean, that was just part of it. They scratched the surface on some of the crap this guy's done. I mean, the Serena De La Renta, why she's basically out of wrestling now because she couldn't stand him so much. Then he got a new girl that was like his girlfriend. I guess. And I forgot what he, I think it was sexual assault. Allegedly. I don't remember exactly what it was, but I just remember what at the end of it, he got busted. And in Canada, some court said, you're basically, you know, house arrest, have to go live with your parents now because you're such a piece of garbage. So, you know, I, there was really no baby face coming out of this. And like, I, I think the reason Gabe, and maybe, maybe, you know, I, I try to think like, cause I produced a bunch of documentaries too. And it's like, what would, uh, what, what would their defense be of this? And maybe one of their defenses uh, of making it this way was that, look, nobody really had any really great knowledge of Abdullah the Butcher. You know, all the people that really probably knew him best are probably dead. And, uh, you know, and so at this point, who's going to say stuff that they saw? You know, Tony Atlas is on there and I know he was around him some. Yeah, I love Tony but, Atlas. He's, so yeah, he's always funny to listen to. <laughs> yeah, but I is. think. Um, I just think that he's, I don't know how many actually allies that Abdullah the Butcher has now. I mean, he's older and yet as you get older and you're elderly, you get sympathy now. But I mean, this whole thing where he doesn't know how to read or write. I oh, mean, I, like this to me, this is like the OJ Simpson defense. He owns 2.3 million, but like, I'm just a poor old man. I don't have any money and blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, man, this is not the same guy that owned his own restaurant. And I heard had lots of money and was blowing through it like Ric Flair style. And now I'm supposed to have sympathy for him? No, no, I don't think so. You know, and I felt the same way. I and going back to, I, I can't stop trashing Hannibal. I'm so sorry. It's just he's so easy. When he was like, "I'm Hannibal, and I was the one who retired Abdullah the Butcher." Okay, first of all, dude. First of all, first of all, no, he was seventy. Yeah, he was he was ninety five. Like, shut up. Second of all, like the 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 whole stabbing the referee in the head. The, the hepatitis C thing, the, the, I, you look at the, okay. So I'm a big believer. You look at a man and you can tell kind of the content of his character. The, you look in that dude's eyes. There's nobody home. There's nobody home. And to crazy. say that he was like robbed of some superstardom brother. No, like you were going to be on, you were going to be in developmental for a hair and then you were going to get dropped, dude. So don't act like your wrestling career was stolen from you. Like, it, it, this guy is obviously not all there. And as far as the cutting thing, they showed the, the alleged incident that happened. Listen, Chris, you know as well as I do. Like, Abby had all those finger razors or whatever like that. Okay. He knew. I'm sorry. He knew what he what going into it that Abby was going to cut him. He of knew course it. he did. 
He had the gimmick afterwards. I don't care what he says. Right. Like, not, circumstantial right. evidence really just shows that he's full of crap. And, he's and you know, bullshit. and I have no idea, like, if Abdullah would have actually went to the court and said all these things. Like, and, you know, it doesn't take reading or writing to go to a court and say, like, hey, no, this is not true. He knew everything that was happening, blah, blah, blah. I have no idea if I gave it to him. I didn't even know I had it. Whatever he was going to say, I'm sure he could have defended himself because he's a huge worker. So he would have gone there and done that, but he didn't even go. So I'm like, I guess that shows guilt. But at the same time, that one video image of him, like sort of spiking Devin in the head, uh, you're like, uh, I guess that could have been it, but it could have been the other 50 billion other times you did it. So I don't think man, most of these states don't even require a blood work for wrestlers anymore if they don't have a commission. So how many people that proving that would have been really hard? I would have thought, you know, I don't know if there's any way to somehow DNA test a hepatitis strain and say, oh yeah, it did come from Abdullah. It's the same exact one. I know that they said the unique strain of it was the same, but I don't know if you can really pinpoint that it came from Abdullah either way. But uh, man, it was just like I said, it was just uh, it was a hodgepodge sort of like if if Abdullah thought this was going to be about his uh, career and sort of life, like he was sold short, man, because this was really just like about 15 minutes into the show. They're wrapping up sort of his in-ring career. And I'm like, well, what are they going to talk about here for the next 40 minutes? <laughs> Hi, I'm Hannibal. And I'm like, oh, here we go. We're going to go down this road. And they didn't even talk about Hannibal. And then they put. Really, to be honest with you, they put Hannibal in a more positive light on this show than they did Abdul yes. the Butcher. And yes. I'm like, that is in itself a crime because let's let's say they're both equally horrible people. Uh, you know, <laughs> although you will see people like Mick Foley who will probably defend most horrible people because he's a nice guy. But at least they have people defending Abdullah. I've never met one person that says Hannibal's great. He's an <laughs> awesome dude. I've never heard anyone say that. And let's say let's be fair, Gabe. He was a big dude. Maybe he could take some bumps. He was a muscular guy. I'm yeah, sure he, yeah. I don't know how, if it's natural or what, I don't know him that well, but he was a big guy. So he probably would have gotten a, a legit look. He was, but I think we all know after seeing him and talking and hear him talk and hearing how he interacts with people and how he defends himself, he would have been thrown out for mental reasons, more than physical reasons Absolutely. at some point. So yeah, it was just, um, you know, I like dark side of the ring and I like watching him and talking about him with you and like my friends and, and I hope the show doesn't go away, whether vice goes out of business or whatever happens, but cause I like these things talked about cause it brings up stuff that, you know, like we said, there's been a lot of topics that have been interesting, you know, and I, and this is what's fun about documentaries is there's like going to be a slant. There's going to be a take. It's going to be ways that you can just bury it or whatever, but at least it's out there and you're watching it and talking about it. So no, no, regardless of what I say about this, I, I really do enjoy the series a lot. Yeah, I, I do too. I just think it was, it was, a, it was definitely a misstep and you know, the whole, like the, the irony uh, and they did, thank God they pointed it out that like, uh, you know, and then that audio clip of Lance Storm just burying Hannibal. Oh yeah, just bare. And Lance Storm is again one of those nice guys that really doesn't bury a lot of people. No, but, no. But him to the irony of him being like, oh, you know, I'm gonna sue this guy, and I've got hepatitis C, but I cured it, so now I'm gonna go blade everybody and bleed. I'm like that. That just it just that shows mental illness to me. That is completely a lack of awareness. It's a lack of 
of common sense. It's just like, wait a minute, dude. Like, and Abdullah the butcher was my trainer or took me under his wing. It's just, I don't know. It was, it was, I don't know. I didn't enjoy it. Hey Gabe, if you knew, if you were a wrestler and you, you know, and you probably have a different mindset, of course, overall, but if you were a wrestler and let's say you didn't know Devin from anything, but you knew he was hit, he had hepatitis C at one point, but then he got it cured because he took some miracle drugs. And I've heard that happens now that you can't cure it. Would you want to wrestle him? I, I probably would not like, oh. like for my own s- sake. I mean, that's why blood testing is really legitimately good. Even though I'm not a big fan of state athletic commissions really on what they really, why they're there for the, you know, reasons of it's, it's a, uh, it is a sport that is, uh, you know, predetermined and not uh, competitive. So it shouldn't be taking money from the door on that. But do I legitimately think that, if you're going to have blood, you should probably have blood tests. Yeah. Absolutely. For reasons like this. I mean, it's Absolutely. like, you know, and I was always scared of blood at, you know, at the shows I promoted for that reason. I never wanted anyone to get, let alone like some kind of whatever passable STD or some kind of like horrible virus thing, but also just, you know, blood and like some kind of meningitis from something off the mat, whatever, right. you know, like I just, I get the understanding, you know, I understand. And so does Michael Strider. The use of blood is like, can be a cool part of a, of a match and I a agree. blow off, but good Lord, you got to just be careful with it. And I, um, you know, I, th- this show was uh, an interesting show. Uh, I forget when the, what the next one's going to be about, but uh, Abdul, the butcher should, one one more time he screwed if you really wanted to act like so many people screwed him in his life well he got one more screwing on this show because he looked like he was the one that looked like more of a jerk than hannibal so uh so too bad for him but I, again i know that herb simmons have brought him in i know a lot of people sort of like they they like abdullah and maybe they have a personal relationship with him i do not so i cannot i've i've met him i've never you know i don't know him that well but I don't know. He comes across to me as like uh, this whole sort of faking that he doesn't know anything all of a sudden. And even, I mean, they even had to sort of bury him a little bit. Like I, my, I sort of put the two things that popped me were when Mick Foley was like, well, I mean, I'm not trying to be funny, but he knew how to read a menu and he knew how to write his name. And then Hugo Savinovich maybe had the best line when he was like, Oh, he did all this with a second grade education. Well, I guess we should find that teacher, give him a gold star, you know, medal of honor for everything that he's accomplished after that. And I'm like, yeah, that that was pretty funny because they're sort of in in their own way. All those wrestlers on there were saying like, he's full of crap. And yeah. you know, so yeah. look, do I want Devin to get $2.3 million? No. no. So, so there's no, so I have no baby face in this. And they, I, right. they're all horrible. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think there's a better way we could wrap up this, that segment than just the simple phrase. They're all horrible. All right, Chris. Well, let's go ahead and get in. Unless there's something else you want to talk about. Let's no, go ahead and get no, into let's that. Let's get into Bull. Let's get into Bull Schmidt. You, you said he was a, a Metro Pro champion. And uh, anything else you want to add to this before we throw to that interview? So when I started Metro Pro in 2010 and I uh, started, you know, I was I talked to Bull about this too. Is like I was – still i guess coming from the land of wwe i'm looking for like big guys you know like i wanted guys that for the heavyweight championship i wanted dudes like trevor murdoch and Derek stone and you know michael strider and then uh, trevor introduced me to bull schmidt who was another guy that i had never met before metro pro but he started coming in with uh he was from coffeeville kansas and uh, very close with Trevor, like I said. And then I looked into his background. He was a Harley guy, which most of those guys at that at, in that era of Harley training were 
I mean, just Very great. Close. So yeah, yeah, they were great. They were close together, but they're also, you know, if you're going to get someone at that in the early days of the Harley race Academy that he had in Missouri, these guys that came out of there, like the Matt Murphy's, the Trevor's, they were all really good. So these guys, uh, I was looking for these guys to come in and make an uh, impact. And so what ended up happening is, um, you know, Bullschmidt came in and he was, uh, an awesome dude from the beginning, ended up being a champion for me, but, uh, yeah, I, I don't want to give it all away, but let's get into the interview. All right. So let's get into the interview with Bullschmidt and we'll see you on the other side, right here on the worst territory in the world. It's the worst territory. I'm joined now by an old friend of mine, a former Metro Pro champion here in Kansas City, and joining the Worst Territory in the World podcast is my friend Bull Schmidt, real name Wayne Johnson, not Dwayne, but Wayne Johnson. <laughs> Bull, I haven't talked to you in a long time, but you're always one of my favorite guys that I had no idea who you were when you came up to Metro Pro the first time, but uh, you ended up being a great guy there for, for quite a while. I I have to honestly say, Chris, that Metro Pro was the funnest, funnest time of my whole career when it was just something that I could just you you let me come in and just kind of do my thing and just have fun, you know, whatever you needed done needed was got got done. But in the end, I was just about having a good time, and I have some of my fondest memories of the business working for you at Metro. Yeah, it's funny, I, and you know, when we first started Metro Pro uh, in 2010, and you came in shortly after we started. Uh, you, of course, being friends, longtime friends with Trevor Murdoch, who uh, helped start the thing as well. But when you came in, you were part of that first group of guys here, sort of in that next wave of Kansas City where um, you all are bigger dudes. You know, in today's world where all the guys are pretty small, I had Trevor Murdoch, Derek Stone, uh, you know, Michael Strider, and Bull Schmidt. They were four big dudes that, you know, yeah. Uh, at the time, like nowadays, you guys would be giants on the indie scene, and oh, then yeah. it was great. We were, we were legit heavies in a time where, I mean, it was kind of a different. It was like a transition. You, I mean, you saw it. You saw it years before it really went down. But the 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 big men were kind of, uh, I guess, getting phased out, kind of like the NBA centers, NFL running backs. Yeah, they just kind of kind of made their way out because they were, you know, they were big men back then. They were a dime a dozen. You know, you you could barely find one, and and now it's like the you know you 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 know when you get one you took care of it, and now they're just hiring every every guy that's seven foot in the business now that just can't work. Six, you know, those guys in AEW, all sure. those guys are all, almost they're just big, but they're not doing the job. They'll never be another Andre the Giant. As much as they're going to try, that'll never happen again. That was a. That was a fucking, that was a Haley's comment. Well, I know you know that, and you know, you grew up in a time you know, being around Harley and training with him and doing all that stuff, but, and we'll get to that in a minute, but you grew up in a time where it was, you know, these guys got into wrestling because they wanted to be wrestlers. They they loved it. They were passionate about it, whether they were from a kid or whatever. But now the guys you're naming in WWE and AEW, now a lot of them just get into it out of, you know, I want to be a star. I want, I want Yeah, I want to be famous. Yeah. It was hard. I mean, back in the day, it was hard to get in the business, man. I mean, it was hard. You had to prove something. I mean, it took – I mean, if it wasn't for a, a guy walking up to me and my old buddy Tony Krenz, or a.k.a. Splash Jackson, we were in a mall in Tulsa. Just walked up to us. I was about 330, 340 pounds, man. I was a big, juicy guy. Wow. And he just walked up to me out of the blue, and Tony was like, hey, man, you guys are some big old boys. 
you ever thought about pro wrestling? And man, we had a blockbuster. Tony and I ran a blockbuster, and that's all we played was pro wrestling. We got complaints to the office because all we watched was pro wrestling. That's funny. And and it was. And then when it came down, we're like, nah, nah, whatever, dude. And so I moved. Actually, I moved from Tulsa back here to Coffeyville. And uh, didn't even think about it. And then he called me like two weeks later and was like, hey, man, uh, this is legit. This is Oklahoma pro wrestling. Uh, out of Tulsa, Oklahoma with uh, Pete McGuire and Rob Biggins. And I was like, really? He's like, yeah, man, I saw the spot. So we went out there. They were just starting. And so I took my first bumps on a mattress on a concrete floor. Wow. In Tulsa, there on uh, Admiral. It was, I mean, it was just an old building. But eventually we made it to uh, Riverlands, which is the backside of a bowling alley. And we ended up putting 500 seats, 500 in the, in the, in the building every night. How often night did you run? Ran. Uh, we ran, uh, shit, it was, uh, I think, every other week. Wow. And we were packing them in. And in fact, the fire marshal got involved, and we had benches in there, and we had to take them all down. <laughs> because, but we were packed, dude. I mean, we're end-to-end packed. It was, it was, it was really, I mean, I, my first year in the business, I started four months in with OPW, and I, I, I clicked. I got it. You know, I figured it out. I listened to the guys, but I'd also been a wrestling fan. I watched Central States Wrestling at 11 o'clock every night, sure. Saturday night. Every was- Saturday, Mid-South, Sunday morning, TBS, 505, uh, was uh, NWA, WCW. Who are so, your uh, Who are the ones that you looked up to in, let's say, Central States? I mean, the, the reason why we started this podcast at first was just to talk about why you know Central States always gets buried by by some about what it is and sort of a more of a developmental territory back in the day to those uh, if you saw the bigger picture in the whole United States. But when you're watching that, of course, they're your biggest heroes in the world. Yeah. You see every week. Who did you look up to when you were the? And and a secondary question to that is, I can't believe you're 340. You're 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 running a blockbuster, but you had never really thought about doing this until you're approached no exactly exactly and i got when i started i kind of did you know did the wrestling thing for a bit and i was like "Ah, i'm gonna be that big guy that doesn't work out and then i noticed all these chicks weren't paying attention to me but they were paying attention to the other dudes big motivator so i was like big bang bing bang boom i got on i got on i'm not gonna lie but i got on the gas Mm -hmm. for six months uh but i trained every day uh and uh, my first show ever in WLW was when I was with OPW, and I was still pretty heavy. And I wrestled a guy named Big Daddy Moore, one of my best friends ever, godfather to my uh, second son, Wyatt. Wrestled there. We tore the house down, blew it up. Gordon Sully called my match. I still I still have access to that match. Awesome. Um, uh, Butch Reed was there. Harley was commentating. And I threw a drop kick, and Harley said it was the best drop kick he had ever seen. <laughs> that's, that's high praise. I popped huge, and he stayed with that. And he said that to his to one of his last times I talked to him. He was like, you still had a beautiful fucking dropkick, kid. <laughs> and I was like, sir, I was like, I, 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 boss, you, I don't think you'd give me any higher compliment than something that stayed in your mind that you thought about. Every time you see me, I'm glad to know that he said that I had the best dropkick he had ever seen. And I, I hold that to my heart, along with being a pallbearer to his funeral. I mean, that's an honor. Well, let, let's talk. I mean, that, yes, that is. Uh, let's talk about. Oh, I go off script all the time, dude. Oh, my bad. No, no, that's <laughs> fine. You cover so much there. I want to get a little more detailed. So, of course, uh, you say you watch Central States. Harley Ray's big, big part of yes, that. Whether he was then. a wrestler or a promoter in it, he was a part of it for a very long time. When did you? Uh, when did you go from Oklahoma to Kansas City, and how'd you get hooked up with Harley? 
Uh, it was honestly, uh, and I'll go back. American Starship was one of my favorite tag teams back in the day. Okay. I loved them. I think that was Spivey and Scott Hall, if I'm correct, for a bit. And they had the Coyote name. They had the, yeah. The, yes. Yeah, Coyote. And, dude, I, they were so freaking huge. I was like, those guys are awesome. Jannetty Mark, like me some Jannetty. Uh, Bulldog Bob Brown, bad, bad, bad man. You could tell he was just a tough son bitch. <laughs> I was a Rufus R. Jones guy. I like me some Rufus. He was man. entertaining as hell. He was. That was, that was my dude, man. I mean, Harley was always the top heel. He came in, he was always good. But those are the guys that really, when I watched it, those are the ones that stuck out truly with Central States. And, uh, and and I loved it. I loved that it was local. It was in the same state I lived in. It was just, it blew my mind that, that I could actually see something. And then, you know, breaking down to it, I got to meet a couple of those guys. It was pretty badass. Mm -hmm. But, uh, Back to Oklahoma, uh, I was doing Texas uh, with NWA Southwest. Going down there, I got booked pretty quick, probably four months into my business, to my career. And going down there, met Severn, Iceman King Parsons, you know, uh, oh, good Lord. Uh, I mean, a lot, so many cool guys. I mean, Action Jackson. Oh, uh, what was the Killer Brooks? I got to actually work a couple of matches with Killer Brooks. Tim Brooks, Brian, okay. Yeah. Brian Adias, I worked two matches with Adias. I mean, it was just, and, and I was always such a big world-class mark when I was young because it finally came on ESPN, but when I was young, all we had were magazines. So the magazines were pushing the Von Eric so freaking hard. Mm -hmm. So I was like, okay, who are they wrestling? I want to see who they're wrestling. I want to see why these kids are so over. Well, I saw why, because those guys were freaking amazing. I mean, Adams Hernandez is probably one of my top five favorite wrestlers of all time. Cut yeah, short, yeah. cut short, man. Yeah, yeah, dude. That that guy was gonna go somewhere to like Magnum TA. They do that that dark side of, of of the ring was perfect because God, you just saw he was right there, right there, and then bam, gone. Yeah, and that's something that 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 you know something about uh, people don't realize in the wrestling business is the way it is. All it takes is one bad step, one turn. And, you know, I, I broke my leg in half in Japan man, doing a poncho over the top rope to Morishima. And he didn't catch me right. He chucked me to the side instead of laying back. Uh, and so I landed and I broke my leg in half. My ankle was at my hip. Jeez. Yeah. So it blew out everything. And I knew at that moment I was never going to get a contract anywhere. I was done. I was done. And I was out after a hell of a good run. You know, I said, I went from Oklahoma and Texas to where my, uh, this dude uh, named AWOL was talking to the promoter, Rob Biggins. And he was like, man, because uh, he talked to Harley because Harley was needing some big guys. And so he said, well, well, he'll take Bull. I think Bull's ready. And uh, by then, I had uh, I had lost enough weight to where I wasn't in a big the big black singlet that you saw me wrestle in. I was in uh, some uh, black leather pants. Yeah. Immediately got over the women, which is what it was supposed to do. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and you know, I went up there and worked for Harley. Uh, the first night I walked in, and this dude named Mr. Destiny, uh, I think his name was, I forget what his last name was, Jay something, a good guy. Looked like Mr. Perfect. But as soon as I walked in, he was like, hello, monster. Because, I mean, I was at that time, I was I was 270 pounds solid. Yeah. Solid. Yeah. I mean, there was no, no fat on me then. And so that night I worked, and I worked with a guy named Superstar Steve. I think you remember him. Steve Fender, yeah. Mm -hmm. And I, I made him look like a million bucks. It was like his third match. Come in there, and I, I, I bumped my ass off for him. 
And so this was, uh, God, this was like, God, out of nowhere, like in, in Iowa. And so the next night we had to wrestle in Springfield at the Remington. And so I got the double tip on that one because I went in and worked with Steve. And that's the night I met Bam Bam Bigelow the first time, which is real cool. He's a good guy. Mm-hmm. Well, it's a good guy. My apologies. Uh, and I worked him again. And I'm, you know, Harley popped. And this guy that worked Haku, Ming, as I like to call him, uh, broke his rib. So the next night, I worked again, and Harley goes, uh, the, 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 the referee, Skippy, goes, hey, uh, you uh, you okay with working Ming tonight? <laughs> Fuck yeah. <laughs> hey. Hell yeah, I'm going to work Ming. And I met him the day before, and he was so cool. I got oh, yeah. a picture with him before that. And, uh, you know, we went in there, and I just, you know, I bumped my ass off for him. You know, that was one thing for being a big guy I could bump. That was one of the things that just, and I love bumping. I thought the better I make my opponent look, you know, the more over I am. And I, first six months of my career, Rob Biggins wouldn't let me take a fucking bump. <laughs> and I was like, that's what I'm good at, dude. <laughs> he wouldn't let me do it. Well, that's so old school. I, he doesn't want the big guy to take bumps. Yeah. And, and, and being where I was at, I didn't understand that. And I just, I got irritated, but he was just like, be patient, be patient. And he was smart. Rob Biggins, for everything that everybody's ever thrown rocks at him as, is uh, Rocco Valentino was his wrestling name. He's a good dude. He was a solid guy. He took care of me. He never did me wrong. Pete McGuire was solid. I honestly, I had such a good run with promoters. I was blessed for those guys, Harley. I was blessed to work for you. Uh, Blessed to work for Herb in in, uh, St. Louis. Uh, I, I never really, and, and Ken Taylor in, in NWA, you know, I worked for uh, Ed Beckley, I think that's his name, for uh, Bad Boys of Wrestling. Uh, but it was just spread out along that way, but uh, I got to wrestle me that night, and I bumped my ass off for him. Now, I think it's yeah. funny when, when people, so I've met Haku several times, and he wrestled for me a couple times, and met him a couple other places, and it, the the strongest, most badass dudes are usually like the really nice guys in real life. Usually, the I'm, quietest dude in the room. He won't. That's why he, I don't. Yeah. yeah, you don't fuck with the quiet guy in the room because <laughs> they're usually the ones that'll tear your ass apart. Uh, I once yeah. took a ride from uh, Kansas City to Wichita with him and the Barbarian, and oh my god, and yeah, he, I wrestled. I worked them both. They're fucking. They're awesome. They're dude, great. Man, both of them. In fact, Barbarian, as of a couple years ago, would come to Kansas City once a year because of his religion. They, there's a church here where a lot of uh, it's a Latter Day Saints church here in Kansas City, and he comes here every year from North Carolina. And I, I still have not hooked up with him in Kansas City when he comes here. But uh, both those dudes told me all their stories because I asked all the questions about, "Hey, Haku, did you really bite this dude's nose off?" You know, all the all the things you heard about. And uh, what a great time! That was one of my all time favorite car rides. Yeah. The, the the cool part after that match is Har is Ming went and talked to Harley and I saw Harley and Ming talking after the match and I took a picture with Ming after the match with my chest because it was just red because he fucking lit me up. Oh yeah, and I loved it. It was my it's it's on my wall to this day. Both pictures with Ming is on my wall in my house. Should be. Uh, and 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 uh, Ming goes, hey, hey, book, uh, boss wants to talk to you. I'm like, all right, did I did I fuck up? <laughs> oh no. Oh, no, boss. Oh, no, bro. You're good. You're good. And so I went and talked to Harley. He was like, I got a question. I was like, yes, sir. What are you doing for the next 48 weeks? <laughs> I said, working for you? You're goddamn right, kid. I'll see you Friday. <laughs> That's awesome, man. 
that was how it started, man. And, and that's where, you know, I, I, you know, I come in there and, you know, just getting to work out in front of Harley and having him correct me, you know, jab us in the ass. Or, I mean, I saw him pop tasers on cats. I mean, he did all kinds of shit. I mean, he was the best guy. But when I go in there and I'd be fucking just destroying that weight room. And that was the one thing that he always put over on me was like, why the fuck aren't you in there in the gym like bull? They're like, well, because we're in the ring. He's like, bull's in the ring, too. <laughs> <laughs> I get so pissed. Trevor was like, they go over the house. And Trevor, you know, Trevor was my brother for for life. Trevor, Trevor is the closest thing I had to a brother in this world. I, I I swear to God on that. I mean, I we have cried together when 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 I've left his house. We've cried. Yeah. And that's that's something that you don't do. You don't. That's you know, like I said, wrestling takes you to a different level of brotherhood that you normally have. I'm not saying anything against people that have dudes that they hang out with, but when you're on the road with someone and you punch the shit out of each other, you beat the hell out of each other, you've been with them side by side and you beat the hell out of people with them, that's just a bond you you can never break. You know, and, and being four hours away from Trevor sucks. Because, I mean, he's my dude. But I also know it's a good thing because then we'd never, we'd, we'd be both divorced. <laughs> Because our wives would both say, fuck you guys. You guys have each other. And then we'd never leave the house. We'd just sit and talk about how good we were. <laughs> you were the fucking best, Trevor, you know? And and that's the thing. But, you know, just the, the bond. Your big Daddy Moore, my, my buddy Paul Puerto Rico. You know, these are guys that, that I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to cherish till to my dying day because of the business. I would have never met him if it wouldn't have been for the business. Some of the guys I still have on Facebook uh, are from Japan. I've got at least 20, 25 friends still uh, from Japan. Mike Modest. Mike Modest and I are still friends on Facebook, and we talk, you know, as often as we can. Yeah. It's just uh, wrestling is something that, you know, a, a, a guy from Coffeeville that never thought, but nobody thought I was going to do shit, Chris. I mean, I, I was that guy that was going to be in a foundry or a factory the rest of my days. So I was just one of those guys. And, you know, I, yeah, I was funny. Yeah, I had a personality, but, you know, I, I just, I, I didn't want to settle. And when that opportunity came, I was like, yep, yeah, I better jump on this horse and ride that some bitch till I get broke. And she broke me. <laughs> well, wrestling's like that, man. Wrestling is uh, much like a lot of guys in sports, uh, other sports. Wrestling's one of those things that can take anyone from any walk of life and make them a huge star. And you and you did that, and you were able to go to Japan. I mean, first of all, what were your first impressions of Harley? Uh, what what was your relationship like with him the entire time? Was it always great? Was he a hard ass on you? How how'd that play out? It was a father's setup. It was a father style setup. You knew when you got called to the office, it wasn't good. And Trevor and I got called to the office a couple times. Not gonna lie, you know. But Harley was he was he was good to me when I when uh, 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 Noah came in for the tryouts. Uh, uh, Misawa, Vader, everybody came in. Harley was so adamant about me being there that he put me up in his condo. Me and my soon-to-be wife at the time was my girlfriend, Heather Savage. Uh, uh, he, he, we stayed at his house, his condo there on the lake for three days just so I could be there for that tryout. He was so confident on the fact that I was going to do well. And, uh, and BJ, last time I talked to her, still said, you were the best, you were the best guest we've ever had <laughs> because we did our dishes, we cleaned the kitchen, we did everything. <laughs> Good time. They went to bed at nine o'clock, and you know we got to sit out and look at the beautiful lake, and it was all because of Harley and BJ. 
and those are the memories that are, you know you you can't replace. Uh, you know he was he was I mean you could tell him I mean you just look at him that he would just kick your ass. But then he would ask me for directions. Hey, I'm coming back from Kansas, which way do you think I should take coming up from Springfield? I said, fuck, Harley. You're driving that. You drove that trip more times than God. No kidding. No kidding. I said, well, as you coming through Buffalo, hang a right. Don't go all the way up to Sedalia. Hang a right. And I said, you save your 30 minutes. He called me. He said, by God, bull, I've driven this this trip for 40 years, and I never thought about that. This saved me 20 minutes. <laughs> You're his map quest. Awesome. <laughs> because I, I mean, because I was a map guy. I mean, I've been Texas, Louisiana, you know, all through Oklahoma to various spots and dates. I just, I had an atlas with me at all times. That was how it was back in the day. We didn't have phones yet. We didn't have the Google. You did it the hard way. You know, I don't want to feel, I don't feel like fucking with Kansas City that way. I'm going to go up 71 and go right up Kansas City's butthole and hit that spot. Sure. And I, was, I did that numerous times. And it was just, uh, that was one of the things that Harley appreciated is that I knew the road. He, uh, he was like, you're, you're, that I had, you know, the Texas time, you know, it was blood. He had, he saw pictures of me with blood all over me, you know, that, I, you know, if I needed to, to do a rig, I'd do a rig. It wasn't a big deal. You know? So in, in, in Texas, I'd go down, I'd drive down to Dallas to NWA Southwest for 40 bucks and wrestle cool cats. I mean, 40 bucks. And they'd say, hey, bull, you mind putting a little bit of color in? We'll throw 20 bucks on there. Like, yeah, I'm going to Hooters. <laughs> So, you know, like my, my taquitos at, at Quick Trip, I had to have my Hooters wings, you know, get to hang out with the boys. You know, that covered my bills plus my gas. I never made any money, but I knew my name was going to be in Pro Wrestling Illustrated. You know, in that little thing, hey, blah, 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 North Richland Hills, yep. you know, Texas, you know, blah, 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 NWA Southwest Bullshit. I said, that's all you got to do is get your name out there because my name was going to get attention. I knew the Bull Schmidt was going to make you say, <laughs> "Nice name." Who? How did even, that? How did that come even, about? I need. I, I don't know if I ever asked you. Did you give that to yourself? Did Harley come up with that? How? How did that name come? I mean, it's obviously Bull Schmidt is a great play of words, but how did that come around? Uh, actually, when I was 19, 20 years old, I was living in Tulsa, and I shaved my head, and I didn't have any facial hair, so everybody said I looked like Bull Shannon from Night Court. So everybody started calling me bull. That's hilarious. I had no idea. I love, I love night court. Okay. Dude, I'm a big, huge fan. I wish, I wish they'd call me. I'd be the new bull in the, in the, in the, in the reboot they're doing. Fuck, oh, yeah, I watch it. that. They need a bull. Yeah. I'd shave myself cleaner than a baby, bub, <laughs> just to get that payday. Uh, but no, I was wrestling and I started wrestling and uh, you know, I have bull tattooed on my arm. I got that early, like at 22. So I wasn't even wrestling when I got that, but I was always bull. And, uh, and I was just driving to Texas uh, with the guys, and I was just bull. They just called me bull. Well, the first couple of times I wrestled in Tulsa. And I was like, you know, I was talking to him. I go down to Texas, and I said, I don't want to be walking there with a jackass named Bull. I'm going, to, I'm going to NWA. And I was like, you know, I said, Bull Johnson sucks. I said, I can't do that. That's so boring. I said, Bull Smith? I was like, I, was like, I wish I'd come in as bullshit. And I looked at my buddy Zane Morris and Ian St. James. from They were Generation X, a real good tag team in Oklahoma. Mm-hmm. And they looked at me. I was like, Bull Schmidt? 
Yeah, man, bam, right there. On the road to Texas, man. First time I ever worked from Texas, I came up with my name on the road. Uh, it's, it's such a – I mean, well, since you already had Bull, it's a natural fitting for that anyway. But It came together, and I was like, bullshit. And I thought just like, bullshit could work. And, dude, as soon as it happened, and then, bam, they're like, hey, what, what, your Bull's on parade. I said, that's your entrance. And I was like, yep, we're doing raids, raids against the machine, Bull's on parade. And it went from there. And it seemed like everything just kind of fell into place. I started, you know, uh, I, I started selling T-shirts, and I was selling 20 T-shirts a night at sometimes. At twenty bucks a pop, I mean, I was I was coming away like a champ. Yeah. So I mean, bad. and PJ got their own T-shirts made because they were pissed off watching me sell twenty T-shirts a night. <laughs> now, now you you sadly you talked about being a pallbearer at uh, at Harley's uh, funeral. Yes. Um, ever since Harley passed away, and of course he was he was pretty he was you know basically confined to a wheelchair for the last x amount of time of his life so it wasn't completely out of the blue obviously harley put his body through hell for many years but uh what um gosh so many people like a steel lucy mendez man they have been become so emotional about harley after that went down and uh i know you guys had such like a deep connection with him and you never think that guy's gonna go away because he's such a tough bastard but uh i mean just what was that like that whole time with him and uh being able to say goodbye in, in, in that way i was uh I, I, before he passed i was at the last uh christmas party that he put on in troy missouri i made sure because hard because you know trevor told me about the lung cancer and all nine yeah. and i showed my respects so i was like dude we're going uh you know i got to sit there and we talked and you know all the students and everybody sat there and trevor and trevor's on one side and i was on the other side and there's hardly in the middle and uh, Matt Murphy was there too, uh, but we got to talk to the kids and you know, kind of let them know how much Harley meant to us and what he did for us and what he could do for them. Even if he can't physically do anything with you, his mind is still tight. And uh, I got to thank him when he left. You know, I got to hug him and I told him I loved him. Uh, I'm a, I'm a, I'm one of those people. I'm bad with last. Uh, Last images. Uh, I wanted to remember Harley for what I remember him for. Sure. Just being that, I didn't want to see him in a bed. I didn't want to see him with a tube. I I just, I just wanted to know that he was okay. Sure. And uh, that he was in a better place and he wasn't hurting anymore. And, uh, that's the main thing. And uh, for them to ask me to be a pallbearer, that just showed that uh, he knew how much I loved and respected him. Well, dude, like, yeah, I mean, what? There's just a handful of guys that can get that honor. And that, I mean, that dude had graced the lives of so many dudes throughout the years. That's uh, That was pretty cool. That was very cool. Uh, he hated my poncho. And, uh, uh, Tro, oh, he fucking hated that. He poncho. hated that? He hated the poncho, dude. We worked with Trevor and I. Remember, it was our last match we ever did with Steve and uh, Matt in uh, WLW. And Kevin Von Eric was there. That was badass. I got to talk to him for the second time. That's that cool. Was, uh, but I came out in the poncho. And after the match, he was like, oh, boy, you still work. Not bad, old man, blah, blah, blah. What the fuck are you wearing? I said, you don't dig it? I said, I'm a Terry Funk dude, man. I figured you'd like that. Fuck, Terry. <laughs> 
Terry would wear a black fucking poncho. And I'm sitting there thinking, I got the poncho from Derek Stone. I mean, full circle. The first night I walked into Metro Pro, I was like, man, I'm just like boring, and I got big old horse tits. And uh, <laughs> Derek and he goes, hey man, I got a poncho here. You want you want you want to try it on? I was like, hell yeah. So he threw me the poncho. I put it on. That was the first time I ever put that poncho on. Was the first night of Metro I was there. Had no idea. So I, so somehow. Uh, I pissed off Harley uh, with the company. That's cool. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah. So I don't know, but he was not a poncho fan. But uh, I was. Uh, I still have that poncho. And Derek Stone was his trainer, and like, yeah, there was a. Oh man, that's oh, funny. So full circle, and I'm glad you know they kind of they kind of come to terms and 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 you know made peace because I know they had a little bit of a, a problems, just like everybody does at some certain times in wrestling after a certain run there's going to be some kind of drama. And, uh, and you know, I think there was. Don't know the ins and outs. Not my problem. I just know that it was not good for a while, but I think it was cleared up. And I'm glad it was because Derek, Derek's a class act. I think the world of Derek Stone. He's, uh, he's probably one of my favorite guys in the business. I mean, he's just always friendly, always informative. He's one of the smartest guys I know. Yeah. I mean, team, my third year of the business for Matt Riviera out of Arkansas with Global Pro wrestling mm-hmm. and uh he came in and he was doing the sheet gimmick and man he has so much heat and uh i walked in and, and matt hands me a bell he's like oh by the way you're my champion <laughs> oh thanks uh <laughs> yeah i mean but i was that's when i was i rode up there with a tiger Tretch phillips jr baby wow yeah oh my god we smoked so many joints dude <laughs> So bad. I've never done that before in my life, and he had like thirty joints, and that's all he did. <laughs> I don't remember a lot of that trip because of that scenario. Well, for but, good reason, but, yeah. Oh shit! <laughs> but uh, Derek was such a good dude, man. We had such a good match. A lot of heat, you know. Minimal bumps. A lot of fucking. The crowd was in it, and it was all him. He called every minute of the match. Uh, yeah, uh, when I was when I was going to college at Missouri, he was uh, he was doing shows at the Sheik around, and I would see him at an occasional indie show, and he he really did great with that gimmick, and he was known for that gimmick for many years. Um, I uh, when I when Trevor, of course, uh, I had been working at WWE for a while, and then when I came home, and then I knew Trevor was in Missouri because obviously there's not a ton of former WWE guys living in Missouri. Yeah, so, <laughs> they're usually in Florida or, you yeah. know, Texas yeah. or somewhere. But yeah, news are not in the Midwest unless you're in Minnesota. Yeah, yeah. So I uh, I, I called him and um, got him involved with Metro Pro, and he was a huge part of the beginning of it all with his name. And, and he was getting in great shape at that time, trying to get another run with WWE. And then all of a sudden he uh, tells me about you and sells me on you. And, of course, like, I mean, you had all the credentials in the world at that point. But before we get to, before we get to Metro Pro, though i do want to talk about your your tours of japan because of course over the years that is sort of eroded to where people sort of pay their own way now and they say they work in japan but you were in an era where you legitimately had to be picked uh to go over there and you were sort of treated way differently than what people are doing today so explain how that went from japan and how that whole process took part uh well like we spoke about like i spoke about earlier with with the trial with noah vader uh, Mitsuhara Misawa and Harley were at ringside during our tryouts, and all the guys got to do a shot. I mean, they had the Japanese press there. I mean, there was probably 30 photographers there. 
I mean, it was just there. So I, I wrestled, uh, I think, two singles matches, one against Steve, Superstar Steve, and one against Drill Instructor. And it was just it was just all of us just sitting there watching the next guy go into the ring. And Vader, you know, was someone to try and do the stare down thing. Vader would be like, don't do that shit. I don't want to watch that shit. <laughs> so it was just they were criticizing it at it as it went. I mean, it was it was it was a nut clencher. But I mean, but I also I I, I and I, I I hate to sound this way. I knew I knew what I was. I knew I was I knew I was fucking good. You know, I'm six, you know, six five, two seventy, you know, could throw a drop kick, six foot eight in the mouth, you know, leapfrogs, everything. When it comes to because I played basketball. Mm-hmm. So I could I could take a step. So the vertical wasn't a big deal for me. What killed me was doing a frog splash off the top rope, which <laughs> to see because I had such springs off the top rope, I get looked like twenty feet in the air. And and uh, so they picked out there was uh they chose Matt Murphy. Superstar Steve and myself. Uh, Matt went straight over because there was a GHC Junior Heavyweight Tournament. Uh, he went straight over. And uh, like within a couple of weeks, I had like a month to get ready. And so Steve and I went over together on the first tour. And uh, I, like I said, when I got there, you know, it was, it was pretty cool. I mean, you get off the plane, there's signs saying Bullschmidt. And you go there and they take you to a room and it's a press conference. You know, you had photographers there. You're sitting there in front of the bike. You're talking. You're taking pictures in front of the Noah picture. You know, the Noah insignia. Mm-hmm. It just that, that. And for me, I was I was blown away. <laughs> I'd wrestled some WWE shows, you know, and got to do a couple things. Wrestled a shit match against Mean Street Posse. You know, Pete Gas was going to leapfrog me, big fat bastard. He did not, and then blamed me. So I got heat. Plus, they said I was telling the crowd to. Uh, uh, I was. Tell the crowd to give me a blowjob. I was doing blowjob gestures to the crowd. And uh, they kept they quit making gestures to the crowd. I was like, I didn't make any gestures. Well, come guy called me a jerk-off. So I, I said, oh, you're the jerk-off. And I did the jerk-off signal. <laughs> well, they made it out like I was doing like this massive blowjob gimmicks where I was sticking fingers in my mouth and all kinds of shit. Kevin Kelly, I, I wanted to knock him out. But yeah, so that way they told me, hey, you're, you're not welcome. Uh, don't worry about coming back. And I was supposed to wrestle three straight days for him. But I wrestled in the convention center, and Jim Ross gave me seven more minutes once he saw me. And uh, and so I figured, boom, I'm in. I'm signed. So we went to Austin the next night, and Pete Gass wanted to leapfrog me and shit the bed. And then I got blamed. Well, Pete Gass and Rodney were the two non uh non-longtime workers, so they had probably, gosh, I, just maybe weeks of trading under their belt at this point. So, yeah, you weren't put in the best position there. Yeah, yeah. and Arn Anderson was the one that okayed it. Wow. Look at Arn, I'm like, don't. Oh, no. But, you know, fuck, I mean, my, my second night with WWE, last thing I'm going to say is, nope, nope, we're not doing that. I'm like, dude, I'll get down as low as I can. I went down on one knee. And still, he hit, I put his my nose right in his ball sack. Oh man, he was just. I was like, really? You? Yeah. And so, so then after that, so I knew I was done with WWE. So when Noah came around and I saw the opportunity with that, you know, they called me. I was like, I'm there. And Misawa uh, was talking to me, just you know, just you know, very broken English. But I, I told him I, I walked up and you know shook his hand, and I told him, I told myself, big chin. I was like, big chin. And laughed. He popped. 
So, you know, every time he saw me, he'd do the, the chin thing. Beat you. And I was like, oh, hi, 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 beat you. And so that was that was cool because at least I wasn't just a spot. You know, some of you remembered. And, and he was, man, when I threw that drop kick, dude, I heard him go, whoa. And uh, and I knew as soon as I hit that drop kick, I was psyched. What did you th- what did you think of the uh, just being over there? You're of course uh, towering over most people, I'm sure, in Japan. But what was it like being over there, living there, and just going through the culture over there? Man, uh, I, I lose. I, I lost like 15 pounds every time I go over there. Uh, hey, they have hate no the food. The milk. They have no milk. Oh, I see. You have rice milk is all you got, and so I found a certain kind of a strawberry rice milk that would work. Uh, but I also had protein, so I was drinking that with water, and it just doesn't, it's not as filling, and it's not as, you know, as, as good in the consistency. The weight room uh, was sometimes a problem, but when I come down to it, still the best food I've ever had in my life. Really? Okay, you like their food. Cool. I mean, I'm a big sushi guy, but I didn't know if you were. I'm still, I, I'm still, I used to see my cat. I got so much just sesame oil, uh, oyster sauce. I got all that shit, man. I mean, I just kind of replicate the perfect, you know, pork and got to with Midori sours is the perfect Japanese meal along with some sushi. I mean, it just, it was perfect. You know, I got some good pictures of me and Modest and Scorpio eating at a Mama-san's house, uh, and, you know, in a restaurant and she fed us and, and it was great. I mean, I, I had some, the best times, I mean, some of the coolest memories I have in the business, we're in Japan, you know, we shut down a, a bar in Hiroshima. We walked up there. Uh, as soon as we walked in, they, they kicked all the guys out and locked the door. And we each just threw $200 each for a bottle of Crown, fit the Crown. And he had over 10,000 American CDs on the wall. <laughs> so all I did was I was a DJ and I told him to pick out songs. And me, Donovan Morgan, Mike Montes, Vader, Scorpio, just, just hung out, man. Drank beers, drank Crown. I mean, just at the time of our lives. Walked home at 6 in the morning when the sun came up. You know, it was about four, about a four block walk, and it was it was it was really cool times, man. It was it was just something I could look back and say, you know, I'm glad it happened. I mean, some of the shit I did with Scorpio, I, I wouldn't do today, you know, just because I mean, you don't you don't buy weed in the backseat of a fucking uh, a BMW from the Yakuza. <laughs> That's scary. Yeah. Hundred dollars. I was like, take the fucking money. <laughs> so it's just cool shit like that. I had to save Matt Murphy from getting killed by a member of by by some uh, some uh, enforcers because he uh, got tricked to going into a uh, a wash house and when he wouldn't pay, he took off and they chased him. So I had to put him in my room for the whole night. It's in the book, I think. His book. I believe I read that, and I think I heard him tell that story. He slept on my floor in that room, and I just told Scorpio, I said, what do we do? He was like, well, don't put him in his room. That motherfucker's dead. <laughs> so it's, like, it's like you're sleeping on my floor, and you ain't smoking in my room, big dog. <laughs> so he smokes cigarettes like a train. But it's just cool stuff like that, doing laundry, you know, in those small little spots, you know, just, you know, uh, going to the malls there. You know, Steve and I always went to the mall when we went to Tokyo. Uh, I got to ride on that big, huge Ferris wheel that's in Kill Bill. Okay. Yeah. On, yeah. Uh, I was on that, you know, just, just, I mean, and honestly, wrestling some of those guys. I mean, getting to wrestle Misawa, Akiyama, Matafuji, uh, you know, I, uh, Takawa Mori is one of my favorite wrestlers of all time. And I got to wrestle him so much. Even Takayama wore no fear. 
And because no other big tag team, they had uh, Rikio and Morishima were the only ones that could pair up against Amori and Takayama until Bison Smith and I showed up. And then, you know, I, I think they messed up not pushing us like the Road Warriors because uh, we were huge. Two big dudes like that over there? Yeah, that sounds like a, a perfect thing. Um, sure, they never pushed. They got us. We got some wins, but they never, never pushed us. And I think they shit the bed. I think the biggest mistake they made was not letting Trevor and I go to Japan together. Because Trevor and I were one hell of a tag team. When we were when when I was in my day and Trevor was young, man, we I, we got to wrestle some shows for Dusty Rhodes in Oklahoma. He brought us in with Harley, and uh, he had this young tag team that him and Barry Windham had trained. And Barry was right there watching, and we went in and man, we just we made those dudes look like they were like they were poor horsemen. We made them look like a million bucks, and they were like. You know, Barry was like, hey, man, you guys want to hang out and have a couple of beers tonight? <laughs> do we? Yeah, I think we do. So I got to sit and have beers. Me and Trevor got to sit and have beers with Dusty Rose, Barry Windham, and Glacier. Wow. And sat there, and Dusty was just, oh, God, he was so, he's so much shorter than I thought he was. I thought he was huge. I walked up behind him, and uh, he turned around. I was like, hey, baby, how you doing? It's like, holy shit, it's Dusty. <laughs> so yeah, I shook his hand, thanked him for the opportunity. And just listen to him talk to, to Barry, the, the old time. Barry's like, hey, da, da, da. he's like, Barry, Barry, shut the fuck up, baby. Let me tell you a story. You don't, you don't tell it like the dream does, baby. And he's just going to tell and tell it. And I was looking at Trevor. I was like, uh, I really would rather do this than have sex any night. This is the best night of my fucking life. You know, it's so funny because, first of all, you're a big guy. And when I, and I'm, I'm, we're about the same height, me and you. So when I went to WWE and I went into the locker room just as a kid when I was 19 or whatever, I uh, was shocked that everyone wasn't bigger than me, like taller, you know. But I think, uh, so yes, Dusty was, I met Dusty a couple times. And yeah, you, you know, he's so larger than life on TV that you think he's going to be a, you know, huge guy. And he's, he's a big guy, but, you know, not. Yeah, he's husky, but he was 5'10". You know, I was just like, man, I'm watching TV. You just looked like you were the biggest dude in the ring. The only one that was bigger than him was Andre. And, yeah, but, you know, but his personality was bigger. And the other thing he, is that you mentioned is that you, uh, you know, I don't know. Is it's it, the, the saying that it's be, better than sex? I totally understand what you're saying because there's so many moments in wrestling, like just my career, your career. I can totally relate to where when you meet some of these dudes. First time I met Terry Funk. First time I met uh, just even that era of like Shawn Michaels and Undertaker and you know those guys that you know Stone Cold, The Rock. The you know when I was working up there, it was like. Uh, you know, even if this all ends today and you like, you know, you're, you're sitting there telling me your stories in Japan and everything you got to do. And you're like, you're like, I didn't, I didn't think I was going to mount to anything from Coffeeville, Kansas. And look at all the cool stuff you got to do, man. Yeah, that's, that's my claim to fame. That's just, no one gave me the chance to do something like that. But I also, I, you know, I, I wasn't willing to settle. And that's why I tell every kid that I talk to around here with the Boys and Girls Club, we did a bunch of hometown hero shows. I, you know, I, 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 gra I grabbed a bunch of your talent to bring them down to do the hometown hero shows. <laughs> yeah. when I, and, uh, you know, they were such a good thing. And these kids, and I let them know, just because you're from a small town doesn't mean you can't do big things. You just have to have an idea and an opportunity. And when you find one of those, take advantage of it. And you know, and I and I, and I, I, I cherish every 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 opportunity I ever got with the business. I, 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 I in hindsight, I, I, you know, for a lot of years, I'm not gonna be honest. I'm gonna be honest, Chris. Uh, I was bitter 
that I didn't get the big contract that I didn't get to be totally. installed. But that's but that makes sense. I mean, I I you know the the worst thing I always say the worst thing about promoting wrestling on my level was the guys that put their life on hold because they want that big contract they want that big job and there's so few of them and so part of me is always like man i hate sort of teasing these guys you know because it's going to be one it's sort of a lottery ticket to to go ahead and get a job at the highest level for more than six months you know and but you're right i mean uh i can understand why you feel that way man because if you don't get the big pay uh, big payoff in wrestling which is really hard to get um but i mean you know that's just normal man like, you know, I'm, my, my, my knees are bad. My shoulders, you know, I have dislocated my shoulders nine times. You know, it's just, just random shit just over the years. But I also, you know, like I said, for a while I was, I was bitter. And then I sat back and thought about the fact that, you know, I, I, I've spent every day with my two boys, my two youngest. I have I got custody of them from, uh, you know, five. And they've been with me every day since. If I'd have been on the road wrestling, if I'd have gotten that big contract, that wouldn't have happened. Mm-hmm. I would not have got to spend every day with the boys. I probably been a fleece for child support for ten thousand a month, making two. So, I mean, God's plan worked out for me. And I'm not a, I'm, I'm a religious man, but I'm not a hypocrite. But I also believe that, that my 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 plan in this world was to bring those three boys into this world and teach them how to be good young men. And uh, if there's anything I can do, even if it doesn't fall back on my wrestling credentials. If they say I was a good dad, that means everything to me. Of course. And you always were, man. I, I, I'd see you with your kids all the time. I mean, you were uh, – uh, Trevor loves his kids too, so you guys have that in common. Uh, good dads. So they're together. And that was a really a cool – such a cool kick-ass thing for Trevor and I to do together was bring our boys to, to the shows and they'd watch us work. Uh-huh. They had a great time. And that's something that, that – that, the blessing of Metro, and thank you, Chris, by the way, uh, giving me the opportunities for my kids to see what I could do. I wasn't what I was, but if I wasn't physically what I used to be, I still had a little more personality and a lot more confidence. And, uh, you know, I, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't trade anything. No, I, I was going to tell you, man, I, I was so happy when you and Trevor and, like I said, Derek Stone, Strider, Wyatt. Uh, I mean, then I had some of the older guys like Pete Madden was there. And, like, there was just a group of dudes there. Pete, God, I love Pete. He was so freaking crazy, man. And that's what made that place so cool to me is like you had Derek driving in 10 hours from Denver. You had Pete driving in from Milwaukee. You guys coming up from Kansas and mid-Missouri. It's like – um, you couldn't uh, help but like enjoy it once you got there because everybody just really loved everybody's company there in Kansas City. It was it was one of my favorite locker rooms, brother, of all times. You know, I mean, when I came in, OPW is going to be the one that, that that's my birthplace. Sure, WLW was, I mean, the pinnacle. But when it comes to happiest and just most enjoyable and most laid back and fun locker room, Metro Pro, Pro blows them all out of the water, bro. I'll tell you that from the bottom of my heart. It was one of the, it was like I said, it was the funnest part of my career, and I owe that to you, and I appreciate that very much, my hey, man. And and I appreciate you, man, because I had a great time with you. We had a uh, you became our Metro Pro champion in 2011. <laughs> Dog, what I loved it. That was that was some shit I had that didn't expect at all, and I, and, and I still cherish those pictures I have that people send me. Every once in a while, I'll get that shot of me in the uh, by the ring mm-hmm. with that belt, and uh, and you let me bring it home. 
And then that was really badass because I got both my kids got pictures with that belt. And I thank you for that. That's cool. You know, the picture that I remember the most with you in Metro Pro, I believe you're wearing your black poncho, which I think is hilarious now that Harley Race hates that. Oh, because that was like that. your signature look here. So I love it's my favorite look. <laughs> Uh, that's funny. That's funny. Yeah. Uh, well, man, I um, I know that you went on to promote Hometown Heroes, and like you just mentioned a while ago, and promoting wrestling, as you probably found out, in any capacity is always like a real pain in the ass. Now, now the pay, the payoff can be awesome. Don't get me wrong, but oh, yeah, yeah. all my friends that have gone on to promote uh, wrestling shows, I'm just like, look, dude, the uh, the uh, the you know, you'll get the adrenaline going the day of, and everything's cool, and you're hoping everything's awesome, the crowd's great, and the shows. Do- and then as soon as it's over, you got about five minutes to enjoy it. And then you got to be worried about the next show and tickets. It's just, and I'm sure you did some of that. I did. And I got to the point where I was just like, you know, maybe that's just not what I'm supposed to do. And I, I just, I kind of, you know, and just got to where, well, and we were going to do another show here in Coffeyville a couple months back and issues with our city manager. He said that he didn't want to promote violence in Coffeyville. Oh, wow. So yeah, he's on the dick. He's on the big, big Coffeeville dick list. So yeah, I was gonna be. Uh, I was gonna be the host. I was just gonna kind of come out and just talk. I can't do anything at all because my shoulder will pop right out. I got to get it fixed. But hell, I work too much. So <laughs> I just hold off on that. But in the end, you know, like I said, the promoting thing. Like I said, my main thing is just people. I love people. I love fans. Uh, you know, everybody used to say I was a mark. No, I just love fans, man. I get out of the bus when Modest and Vader and all them would talk shit about me. I get out of the bus and shake hands, sign autographs, because you know that's that's the that's the backbone of the business is the fans. If you don't take care of them, if you big time fans, they're going to remember that. Oh, yeah. I remember when I was a kid, I got big time by Roy Clark. I went up and I asked him for his autograph, and he said he didn't have time to do it. So my six foot two Marine dad went over and told him he was a big old fat piece of shit. <laughs> and I remembered that. I was, I was, yeah, I think I was ten years old, and I was like, I watch Hee Haw every week, you son of a bitch. <laughs> and so I remembered that, and I said, I'll never fucking do that to anybody. I will never do that. Anybody walks up and 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 has the time to even mention me or think about me, talk about me. It's going to take a time, take a moment. I mean, if you don't have time to say hello, good morning, you know, you, you, something's wrong with you. Something's wrong. If your life is not in perspective, if you can't take time to uh, uh, to at least greet people or when people greet you, respond to them. And if there's a fan, you take the time, you sign what they fucking want you to sign, and you ask them how their day is because sometimes that's all those people get. There might not be anybody in their world that asks them how they're doing. And that's what's wrong with the world today. Well, man, I uh, I have always appreciated the time you gave me. You were always in a great mood every time you came up. You were never in a bad mood. You always had a big smile on your face. You were a joy to work with. And uh, I'm glad we've kept in touch over the years. And uh, your boys sound like they're growing into great young men as well. So thank you for being a part of Metro Pro in my life and my wrestling career. And uh, thanks for joining us today. I owe you everything, Chris, man. I, I cherish our friendship, but I also mainly I cherish the time in Metro Pro and the fact that you gave me a second lease on life and I could do some cool shit when I didn't think I was going to have a chance to. And you, you, you put a belt on an old man that won't ever forget what you did for me. 
<laughs> I appreciate it, man. Well, thanks for being a big part of everything I did, and thanks for doing this today. And I'll talk with you soon. Good, good, good to hear from you. Good to talk to you. Like I said, I love you, brother, and uh, thank you for everything you've done for me. Love you too, man. It's the worst territory. All right, welcome back to the worst territory in the world, Chris. What a great interview with Bull Schmidt. <laughs> you guys covered a lot of ground in that interview. Yeah, dude, he is, uh, like I said, he always had a smile on his face. He was such a great dude. Always, He was happy to be there. And those are the guys that I wanted when I was starting an independent federation. I wanted guys that were uh, like, you know, I don't know, man. You know, we could talk about things you look for as an independent promoter in wrestling and then, now, forever, whatever. But one thing that I always liked is, you know, the guys that were the weekend warriors at that point in their life that had done it before, that weren't really trying to go to the Fed. Those are the guys I really probably liked more than the guys were, that were aspiring. You know, not that I didn't like people like, uh, you know, ACH and, and you know, Matt Fitchett and Vega and all these guys like that. But I always liked the guys that were like, you know north side of 30 35 40 they they weren't doing this because they were chasing the carrot they were doing it because they they loved it they love and it. as mm-hmm. i've told you a million times before these guys once they get over the age of 30 35 40 that's when i think they're really the best i mean maybe not physically but emotionally and like mentally as far as like getting stuff over and how to work smarter not harder and stuff that's when they were great and bullschmidt was able to come in and do that for us and was able to be a guy that uh was a true veteran with a bunch of younger guys and i think he rubbed off on a lot of good dudes there and and they saw how he he you know composed himself in the locker room and just in general and uh, like you said he enjoyed bringing his his kids around that had never really seen him wrestle before and uh you know i just uh i hadn't talked to him for a while when i posted that this was going to be our our interview this week a lot of people that were metro pro faithful they were starting to write me and and posting online saying that like he was one of their favorites because he was nice. a, a very big uh, crowd pleaser and it was funny to hear that harley race hated that poncho that he wore that he got from Derek <laughs> stone because he said he said it looked like shit so anyway <laughs> there you go uh i was happy to see bull and hopefully i get some more of those guys from that era like uh like you know trevor murdoch and uh and other people that came from, you know, we've had Matt Murphy on, but Steve Fender, superstar Steve, he's another guy that's been around for a long time. I want to chat with him. A lot of guys that came from Harley Race's school in that era that uh, are still around today in some capacity. So, yeah, yeah. absolutely. Um, and you were saying you were going to go to the Cauliflower Alley Club. Tell us about yeah. that. Well, well, that's coming up in like that's coming up in late August. So late August is I've been to Cauliflower Alley now I think four or five times. And last year I got to uh, see a lot of the guys there that I hadn't seen in a while, including Brian Solomon, who now has his podcast um, uh, with uh, Brian Last and them. And he he is a guy that I worked with in the office at WWE. So uh, he was a big he was in the magazine section while I was in the Internet section at the time. Um, but, uh, I got to see him, got to see Herb Simmons is there and always brings a lot of guys from like St. Louis. Uh, there's whoever the, you know, a couple years ago, I think it was a couple years ago. They had the Memphis, it was sort of Memphis celebrations. So that was cool. It was Jimmy Hart and Lawler and like all the guy, you know, uh, Tommy rich, there's a bunch of dudes there and it's sort of this year CM Punk is the main guy getting the big award. So I hope to see him and a steel there. Um, I've, if, have you ever gone there before? No, I have not. Why not? Why any reason? Nope. I just, I honestly just every time when I was started working with you, I think it was one of those things where just every time I heard you guys were going, I just couldn't yeah. for whatever yeah. reason, you know, well, but I do want to, I do want to go one year. I really do. I really do. 
Well, I wanted to start going because all the older guys from the era when I was a child are getting up there and they're getting like some of the awards and some of them are passing away. And of course, yeah. and I think the years that before I went or the ones that went before I started going would say that that was the best era, you know, when Heenan was there and, you yeah. know, all these other guys from the seventies and eighties were getting all the uh, awards and stuff. And it's obviously changed through the years, who's in charge, what, what they do, but I don't know if anyone, if it, I like going to Las Vegas anyway, a couple times a year. So I sort of try to, I usually put one of my trips to Vegas around this so I can go and sort of see this as well as everything else that I like to do in Vegas. And that's sort of how I spend my time there. I don't go just for that, but I don't know if you, uh, if you are wanting to go to Vegas and it's always on like a Sunday through Wednesday, so it's not exactly peak time. It's cheaper that way. It's not on a weekend in Vegas. But uh, I don't know. It's one of those. It, it is one that I I've never gone to Waterloo, and I know that's taking place this weekend. But uh, and that's even closer. But uh, there's just more to do in Vegas, so I go to Vegas. But it's a it's a fun thing. It sort of gets flack, and I can understand why. There's there's pros and cons to it, definitely. But I don't know, man. It's there's something about that the Cauliflower Alley Club more than anything is sort of more the median age of people there are like probably in their forties, which I sort of hey, I'm okay with. I'm okay mean, with it. There's I'm not okay children there. Okay. There's not it's not like you're going to a fan access to WWE and it's like everyone's like median age is twelve or whatever. Cause they, and I get that. That's a cool thing for kids and that's how we all were when we were younger. But this is more of a sort of worker centric, but also you know, it's, it's adults are all adults. Now I, I would say some probably live in their basement with their mom, but, uh, but I was, I was going to say, we older. know, I was going to say, we definitely know some wrestling fans in their thirties that act like they're 12 year olds. So well, yeah, but you know, they don't look like 12, so they can pass as long as I don't talk to them, they look older. So, <laughs> all right, Chris, well, we're going to wrap this show up, but before we do guess what, what it's time for Chris watches. That's right. We are going to watch, let me, you know, you can edit this or what, or not, but I'm going to share with you my screen. I hope it's here. as good as that Piranha match. It is going to be even better. So this week's Chris watches is we are going to watch the Golden Elite versus the Blackpool Combat Club, the highlights, because this drew one of the highest ratings AEW's had in a really long time. And I want to get your reaction to all the carnage you're going to see right now as the golden elite takes on the BCC and blood and guts guys, go look it up on all elite wrestling's actual wrestling channel. It's called absolute carnage, the golden elite versus BCC and blood and guts. And we will queue it up for you here. Let me, I got to get past this commercial here. Look at that. All right. So we're going to go in three, two, one. Okay. Well, we have Moxley here, which I, dude, I, <laughs> I, I'm not a, you know, like not to bury Moxley. I, I, I just, I saw Moxley my very first time. He was on a Dragon Gate card in That's 2009. A fork, That's a fork. Yeah. Well, there, speaking of Abdullah, it's a lot of <laughs> connections here. Look at uh, he's got the fork. Oh my God. Yeah. It, look, Moxley is, uh, I never thought he was like a huge star in WWE. I never really saw it there. I know a lot. He's got his fans. I know. I just, you know, it's not, it's not that I dislike the guy. I just feel like everything he does is. Oh, he's uh, terrible. High spotty. Like it, it's even high spotty for like a death match guy. Like his, every his, match. His punches look like dog shit. First of all, first of all, like. There's not, I mean, he just won a grappling tournament, which is kind of crazy. Oh, look at this. Look at this. 
There's bro- that's broken glass on the ground, by the way. That's broken okay. glass. So we got Matt Jackson doing the the missile drop kick, taking on Pac, who hey. makes Matt Jackson look big. <laughs> they got the double ring, which I like that gimmick. I do too. I do too. That's a very old school WCW thing. Why is Claudio involved in this? Can anybody tell he, me? Claudio looks like a man among boys. <laughs> he does. <laughs> so right now, Matt Jackson is running around like a ballerina, super super kicking everybody in the face, takes Pac over with the clothesline. I'm not going to call the match, but just kind of updating. <laughs> now there's some cool, like, and Matt Jackson can do some very cool moves here. You know, when everyone is sitting there waiting and selling and waiting and holding for him, he he looks great. Oh, geez. So now we have our first chair in the ring. Yeah, after broken glass and all and a fork and all the other weapons. But there's a special treat coming for you coming up. I know, I know. Oh, what, look at I'm, this. Oh German suplex to both of the bucks. I like I like this guy because I think he has a lot of potential. I think he's he's I think he's got a lot of potential being a good heel. Well, there's old Kenny. There's old Ken Ken. Now, have you have you gotten to play fight Ooh. forever yet? No, I won't. Okay, I, I want to see it just for the standpoint of uh, I want to see the. I actually just want to see the gameplay, you know. Like, and I'm not uh, the king gamer by any means to, to, to in today's world, but uh, I, <laughs> I I haven't seen this. Look at his face. Abushi is making his way to the ring, and he looked, for lack of a better term, orgasmic. Yeah, he came out with his arms out. Sort of doing the Randy Orton pose. Like, how many people in this audience knows who he is? Uh, a lot of them, because they cater to a certain demographic. They do, but it's still, even with that, I mean, I know I know people that take their children to AEW. They'd have no idea. So, uh, Bushi's very slow, making his way into the ring. You think there would be a little bit... Oh, look, Moxley is just up. Oh, there's the better Moxley... That's Mox, what I wanted oh you to see. God. So, okay, I had my kids actually lay on one of the bed of nails. Uh, they have one down in Branson and one of those, uh, you know, like those little variety things there. And uh, they have that. So now he's going to do, is he going to do a, he's going to do a flip oh! onto Moxley onto it. <laughs> so they brought a bed of nails into the ring. It's the one that the magicians used to have you lay on. It looks like you should die because it's going to, but. Okay. So real quick, real quick. I'm pausing this real quick. So yes, the bed of nails thing, it was a Japanese thing for a long time. I can't so so your kid laid on one of the bed of nails, right? I'm pausing it real quick because I want to hear yes. this. Yes. Yes. Okay, so what so what the trick is you distribute your weight evenly, correct? Yeah, so the way they do it at this place, I think it's this place called um God, what is it? It's, it looks like an upside down house there. And it just it it's on it's in Branson. But anyway, what they do is you lay on this what they do there is you lay on this bed because at the top, it's just the wooden part has raised above the nails and you lay there and then they drop the wooden part and you're just laying on the bed of nails. So uh, that is how they do it there. But yes, it's about distribution. Now, granted, I don't know how, if you're laying on the bed of nails and someone does a flip on top of you, right. I don't know how you're going to deal with that. Right. But, uh, but I don't, I mean, look, Moxley has no care about his body or anything. So it's, I'll give him that. And and before so we're gonna we're gonna unpause it here. We're at three minutes and thirty three seconds. But the one thing I wanted to point out to you, so you can finish that story, is Matt Jackson just did, I think one or two Northern Light suplexes on top of the cage. 
and he would float in, do it again. Why? In three, two, one. Why, why is this happening? Look. Like, is this supposed to be like more impactful that he's doing it and then rolling through? Well, I mean, it's obviously a spec. They they're big on spectacles in this company, so this is a spectacle to be doing this on top of a cage. This is reminiscent of obviously Mick Foley and Taker doing bumps on top of Hell in the Cell. They're going around the perimeter of this cage that has like a a hard floor on it, and now we just got DDT. I like how the bleeders are bleeding and the non-bleeders are not bleeding. Like the Bucks don't really bleed that much. Claudio hardly ever does. The real wrestlers, honestly, outside of the Bucks never really bleed oh. oh okay so double backdrop on the thumbtacks which yeah. did you see the uh video that they showed afterwards where was it abushi was was it him that was uh, he just did a flat back bump on it himself just to sort of as he was leaving the cage did you see that after the no. match uh-uh. oh they said way to kill the thumbtack spot by just he just basically looked around the crowd and like just went and just did a a flat back bump onto them and got up and sort of laughed and walked out. And it was wow. like, well, it's just, I mean, you're not really selling the devastation of that, which is the whole point of having those. I would think is to sell it as it's going to kill you as they used to do. Did Kenny get his usual pa- uh, his little pap of color? I don't really see much on him right yeah, now. Yeah, God, Moxley is just Moxley's face is like stone cold, uh, you know, WrestleMania 13 Good times Lord. five. No, is this? No, yeah. Oh, he has a little tiny blood there. Yeah, he has, a, he, has a, he has a little smidgen. He has a little smidgen of blood. So, I mean, is this is this the kind of match that? I mean, I guess if, as a blow off match, I guess like I'm trying to be as po- I'm trying to be positive about this. Like, I'm okay with one of these matches. I am too. Every am once too. in a while, the problem is, is that they have taken. All the wrestling. Here's the the giant swing by Claudio. How easy is this for Claudio for the for this buck to be? Sw- I, I I always get him confused. I never know Nick or Matt. I think it's Nick. Um, but Claudio is such a stud, such a stud <laughs> yes, athlete. Yes, he's done guys three times their size. So yes, I think yeah. he can probably handle the bucks, but together probably easily. But, but here, I, I mean, I I see what you're saying, Chris. But here's my issue with all of this type of stuff. Is it's oh god, he kicked him right in the mouth. Do you see that? Yeah, he doesn't really care. Abushi just kicked Moxley right in his teeth. And now he's about to do the same thing to Claudio. <laughs> I like that. That should be a call. And now he's about to do that. And uh he is kicking his face in. And uh you know, but, I the, the, the pro- thing with the thing with AEW, I think, is they do all the high spots and very little wrestling like all right. the time. Like I just right. wish they had high spots in, in better points of their shows, their matches, their blow-offs and stuff like that. Right. I mean, really honestly, like you could probably say a lot more positive things about AEW if they just structured it and had a little bit more of a handle on these guys, what they're allowed to do in the ring. Because, you know. Look, as I've told you before, just on the indie level 10 years ago, I had people coming up to me and asking me if they could get blood, if they could do this, if they go through four yeah. tables, if they could do this. And it's like, Dude. you know, no, because blood, blood all over the camera lens. That's disgusting. Um, but, you know, you're you're talking about people. You, you have to have somebody. And I don't know who that is, man. Who is the person? Because I, I want to know maybe Ace is helping do that now. But who is the person that is there and saying, no, we're not doing all this stuff. This is ridiculous. And I don't think the problem is 
the Bucks and the EVPs are the guys that want to do all that stuff most of the time. So who's the one that's going to step in front of them and say like, no, this is stupid. Like there's no, you have to Look build it. to this. <laughs> the Pac is so much short. It really shows the shortness of Pac when he's around. Like, look at those three guys. They are towering over like, Pac. Pac is a, Pac looks great physically, but when Absolutely. you get him next to Moxley, Claudio, like he just looks, he looks like a child. He Even Takeshita. Who is, I mean, he's legit over six feet himself. I mean, but and, and so Pac is walking out. Again, like you said, Chris, my problem isn't this match. My well, my problem is the bed of nails, the broken glass. That's way too far. That's just way too far. That goes beyond like blood feuds and all that kind of stuff. That's just ridiculous horse shit, right? But my problem is is every match of theirs, you could take the utensils out of it. It's all the same. It's the flips, it's the constant. Like everyone's got a hold on, everyone's doing something. It's just so much. It's like, it's way too much. They don't ever just like make it a wrestling match and a blood feud, you know? This is taking, what was funny is when I was at WWE in the, you know, 2002, they were talking about it then. Like we have to take a step back, you know, people then the Hardys obviously always get a lot of blame, but like these people are taking crazy bumps and people are just about to kill themselves. We need to grab a hold and, you know, make this stuff mean something. And I thought they were going to do that. Now the problem is this match and AEW in general has sort of gone past what WWE was even considering doing oh my 20 God. years ago yeah. and taking it to such a level to where it's like, now you have sort of conditioned the fans to have such a short attention span to where you have to have like just constant motion, constant flipping, constant high spots, constant right. like blood that it's like anything now is like it, it was bad 20 years ago. What's it going to be now? Like it's just see. And even like right here, like you could see Claudio was like waiting for Adam Page to set up to do the buckshot lariat. And at least, oh, man, what a V trigger and the buckshot at the same time. Wow. I just I get sick of the 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 the, the holding for the spots and like now we're gonna do the BTE trigger and now we're gonna you know it's like you just well, know dude, what's you coming. were promoting wrestling when like every match had a oh let's wait and everyone's gonna stand at the bot on the floor in the corner and wait for the guy to climb up for ten seconds to jump on us. I mean you were you were doing yeah. that stuff. Yeah, absolutely. I, I one hundred percent guilty as charged. But again, like I've said before, I well not on here. Oh geez. I, I never booked what I wanted to see. I booked this type of stuff because I knew it's what people wanted to see or that type of crowd out. Oh, geez, Luis. Um, Look at, at the independent level, you're sort of, sort of bound to what people see on the national level. So I get what you're saying. Yeah. yeah. I mean, that's, you sort of have to deal with, uh, you know, you're not going to be able to, although like some people can do it. I mean, I, I still think like a central States Ooh. wrestling. Now you can still right. have old school wrestling and you can, people will still watch that. You know? Yeah, absolutely. You're, you're definitely going for a, a, a certain crowd. Look at Yuta. He is a freaking mess. Good Wheeler Yuta is second only to uh, Moxley as far Ooh. as how much blood is all over his face. Ooh. But oh man, he got it good. He 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 got it good. They got chains. They got thumbtacks. Wait. Chairs. Wait, what happened? Well, that was the end of your highlights, I guess. They weren't going to show the finish. No, that was the finish. They ring the bell. Oh well, they they choked him out with the chain. Is that was that was he the I last person? I don't know. Who knows? Well, I look, I I just like that that was like every 
that was every deathmatch high spot outside of exploding ring, exploding, you know, whatever, roll around Terry Funk and blow up when you're hit at point in the ring type stuff that I've seen in a while. I mean, look, that's you- cool if you had any kind of like blow off in that match, but you know that's not what that was. <laughs> it was just a match. Do you do you want to see that match in its entirety because of those highlights? Not at all. Not at all. <laughs> I mean, that's just like too much. It's too much. It's like, too I much. I and these matches don't have to be that long. Like some of the best matches are, you know, like we're all conditioned to, you know, pay-per-view matches have to be 20, 30 minutes for the sure. main and stuff. They do this all the time. And it's like I, I just Sometimes, like, I love a Brock Lesnar-Goldberg 90-second match every once in a while. and uh, Yeah. The, but just very little. I, they just throw everything against the wall in every match, and it just means very little. And, I look, I, again, I'm not the target audience, whatever. I yes. do think. Neither like, one of us are. We're sort of going full circle here, though, because we're like, okay, we start this show talking about collision, and we're talking about FTR and what a match that was they had with Juice and Jay. And now we go to this match, which is like the complete opposite, where, yes, there's a lot of acrobatic flipping and moves going on, but uh, really, like, nothing means anything, and it's just like a car crash the entire time. And I was always for a car crash once yeah. it's on the card, you know? Like, I was like a, a six-man scramble on a card was always fun, just like there's just going to be move, 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 move. Now a lot of the guys that were in the main event were like, God dang, they're doing every dang man. They're doing everything before I even get to the show in, on the card in two hours from now. Uh, and I understood that, but look, I've always, as we've discussed, I enjoyed booking like ECW eyes, like have a car crash match, have a storyline match, have a comedy match, have a couple really pure wrestling matches. Like I like that kind of stuff. And I just, AEW, hopefully they're turning a corner and doing more of that because of collision, but it seems like it's all car crash. It, it most of the time, I, I, I think crash. they, I think they really want to separate like dynamite's kind of like the car crash show or the more spectacle show in their mind and collisions, the wrestling show. So I'm going to continue to watch collision. Chris, what a great episode we've had this week, right here on the worst territory in the world. Don't forget um, every weekend, the peculiar winery has some amazing events, food trucks, things like that going on all summer and fall long. So go ahead and follow peculiar winery on their Facebook page. Also, if you need any real estate needs met, I am your guy. You can go to uh, facebook.com slash Ben Miller, realty KC. Or you can uh, also find me on YouTube, uh, Ben Miller Realty KC on YouTube as well. And uh, Chris, that's about it for today. Anything else you want to add? Nope, we're good. Thank you to Bull Schmidt for being on. And we'll have some more interviews coming up real soon. All right, that's it for us. We will see you next time right here when we decide to talk about possibly the worst territory in the world. That's Chris. I'm I'm Gabe. We'll see you next time. Bye-bye, everybody. It's the worst.